Homeward is committed to partnering with parents and equipping you with the resources you need to raise your kids to become responsible adults. And Steadfast Companies, a leading real estate investment company, is proud to partner with Homeward to bring you the following podcast presentation. Joy is a settled assurance about God. If her focus is on the external things that are happening in her life, left to that, she will be in despair. She will be frustrated. She will be anxious. She will have sleepless nights. She'll be biting her fingernails. She'll have stomach pain. I mean, all those things that happen to us when we're focusing on the externals. One of the things that I've learned, and I think scripture teaches us, is that we can choose. We can either gaze at our problems and kind of only glance at God, or we can reverse that. We can gaze at God and only glance at our problems. And when we get it mixed up is when we get anxious and when we get fearful and when we become so frightened that things will spiral out of control and we won't know what to do next. Boy, talk about shooting straight and hitting right between the eyes. That is Kay Warren, and she, of course, is the wife of Rick Warren. She and Rick uh, co-founded Saddleback Church years ago, 25,000 members later. They're influencing people, and uh, Kay is definitely an influencer. So when she talks about uh, choosing joy because happiness isn't enough, it gets our attention. And today here on the Homeward Broadcast, we are privileged to have Kay Warren in the studios with us here at the studios for the Homeward Center for Youth and Family on the campus of Azusa Pacific University. Welcome to Homeward with Dr. Jim Burns. I'm Roger Marsh. Remember that we archive all of our audio at Homeward.com. And these uh, half-hour programs, are you'll also find many of them podcasts as well through iTunes. If you want to podcast our Monday through Friday edition of the program, it's very simple. Just go to Homeward.com, hit the podcast button, it'll take you right to iTunes. And now with part one of today's program, here's Jim. Welcome to Homeward. I'm Jim Burns. Delighted to have Kay Warren with a speaker, Bible teacher, advocate for women and children affected by HIV AIDS around the world. One of the real inspiring people that I get a chance to spend a little bit of time with. She's the uh, co-founder of Saddleback Church, along with her husband, Rick Warren, who uh, really, Saddleback Church, it's one of the most influential churches uh, in the world. I have the privilege to be and go around the world, and everybody knows Saddleback Church. And uh, Did you ever think, Kay, that that would be the case when you guys were starting Saddleback? You know, Rick had this goofy vision um, that he thought we'd have 20,000 members in 40 years. And I thought, that's amazing. And I had no idea that, you know, we'd hit that about halfway through that 40-year right. commitment. Right. But no, we didn't. We were just, you know, kid, little preacher kids. Dads were yeah. pastors, grew up in little tiny towns and... Nah, had no idea. You know, it's it's interesting, uh, and I don't know that I've talked to Rick about this for a long, long time, but when Saddleback started, I was actually the youth pastor at a church that's now called Mariners, but it was called South Coast Community Church. And Rick would kind of wander over and talk with Tim Timmons, who was our pastor, and me sometimes, and we'd go, guy, this guy's great. <laughs> no, and we he, love to do that. Sorry, yeah. I interrupted you. No, but I'm just saying he would he would be telling his vision. We kind of and you know our church was a pretty big church at that yeah. point, and he's and, and we're looking going, man, he's got a bigger vision than we do. Oh, we loved on weekends, free weekends, we would go and visit yeah. all the lo- we've been right. to all the local churches. Right. And we would take notes and we would take notes on how do they do their music, how do they how their ushers sure. greet, how do they do their parking lot. So yeah. we we always yeah. love to do that. Well. I think it's so the, we did visit there a lot. And somebody says the essence of creativity is the ability to copy. So what's happened now is everybody copies Saddleback. I laugh. I go, my goodness, I think that message was Rick's message of like three weeks ago or maybe even just last week that the pastor's <laughs> using. Yeah. So, you know, pretty neat stuff. Hey, we're talking today about choosing joy 
Well, frankly, because happiness isn't enough. It's a great title for a book and a great story that, that you have. Uh, and actually, it's a story of, in many ways, your story in terms of being, as you mentioned in a in previous conversation, you know, kind of an Eeyore. And you can still be an Eeyore. You can still have some issues, but you can work through the issue of, of finding real joy. Now, there's false joy and real joy. And a lot of times, it seems to me that a lot of women, and you mentioned this in your book, a lot of women will try to find joy in their husbands or in their children. And you're saying that's not really the place to find joy. Well, we just, we know that we're hungry and thirsty. You know, we're thirsty people, as Larry Crabb says. And uh, we just don't know where to go to get our thirst satisfied. And so we just reach out for the thing that seems the makes the most sense to us. And that's the relationships in our lives. And so we um, pretty furiously put some effort into finding joy in our relationships. For women, it's so easy, you know, to look to our husbands, men to look to their wives, for women to look to their children. Like you said, um, you know, just a week or so ago, Rick and I, I came home from work. I was a little tired. He came in after me, but I'd been really looking forward to talking to him because I'd had kind of a hard day. He walked in, says hi, gives me the little perfunctory kiss on the cheek, lays on the couch, opens the paper, turns the TV on. And I'm like, but I want to talk. <laughs> and so he wasn't really interested. And I'm going, kind of had a rough day. And he's like, hmm, sorry. And I'm just like, oh, man, you know, just wow, that's so rude. So I went upstairs to my office and I was just, you know, grumbling, rah, 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 rah. you know, he just didn't meet my needs. He's just not blah, blah, blah. I was just, you know, really mad at him and all this stuff. And God just kind of tapped me on the shoulder. It was like, hey, he's not your source of joy. I am. I know. I mean, he's a good man, but he's just a man. He's, he's frail. He's human like you. And if you're going to look for your joy in him, he's going to let you down. He can't do it right every time. And so then I had this moment where I had that choice. I could either stay angry at my husband, who did not meet my need for joy or companionship or listening in that moment, or I could turn to God who doesn't change. I could say, God, you don't change. You will. I am never your bother or your burden. I am your beloved. And you want to talk to me every minute of every day. And you don't care if I say the same 50 things every day, God, you want to be with me and you don't change. So God, you are my source of joy. And from there, I kind of went back downstairs with a different attitude and say, hey, sounds like maybe you had a rough day today. And he goes, I did. I had a crummy day. And I go, I'm so sorry. Tell me about it. And then a few minutes later, he's going, so what was your day like? Now, that sounds like, you know, then, oh, great. If I just come to God and say, right. God, you're my joy, then my husband's going to listen to me, <laughs> you know, tying a little bow on the package. Right. It doesn't work all that way. It didn't matter, though. Because I had already changed my attitude. My attitude was already finding my joy, not in my husband, who's going to let me down. He's just a human being. But I came back down with my joy need, that thirst in my soul, satisfied because God will never, ever be too busy for me. And um, that's where joy, that's why we can't get caught in looking in the people in our lives or what we own or our position at work, or our personalities, all of those things are false sources of joy. They, they're broken wells. There's this, um, can I tell you this verse I love? Sure, Okay, please. sorry, I know I'm, you know, you push the play button, I'm gonna run no, with it. No, I want you to okay. run. Okay, <laughs> so in Jeremiah 2.13 is this passage that just, I mean, it smacks me in the face every time I look at it, because God is talking to the thirsty Israelites, and he says, my people have committed two sins. You have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and you have dug for yourselves cisterns that won't hold water, broken cisterns. And so that to me, I started thinking, what does that mean? Well, like when Rick didn't meet my need for companionship and listening, I could have just taken my proverbial shovel and gone out there and tried to dig. I could go eat something. I could call a friend. I could do anything I could that would try to 
take care of that thirst in my soul. But I, the best I can come up with is I can dig a little well that holds water for a few minutes, and then that well is broken again. And so when I was looking to Rick for joy, he was like a broken well. He was like this broken cistern. He couldn't hold water. But I could come back to God, the spring of living water, and know that he would always quench my thirst. And what I have found myself doing, and when I talk to other women, we are so good at picking up our own shovels and digging for our digging our own wells through relationships, through what we own, through, you know, the people we're with, through our position, through where we live. And they will hold water for a very short time. And then the water's gone and we're thirsty again. And God says, come back to me, the spring of living water. But here's what we do that just kind of like insult to injury. We get mad at God when he won't help us dig. We're like, God, I am trying so hard here to be joyful. I am trying to be joyful. And all the time we're just digging our well yeah. with our shovels as fast as we can. He will never help us dig our own wells. No, that's that's great input. Kay Warren with us today. Great, great conversation. Kay, October 11th, 2008, your capacity for experiencing the joy of the Lord that you're talking about was severely challenged by a series of medical stresses that pushed your whole family to the limit. Yeah, our our precious daughter-in-love, Jamie, um, had a brain tumor that was the size of a tennis ball. And um, it was benign, but I learned that a benign tumor can kill you if, uh, you know, if you don't get it out. And um, so Jamie had 20 plus hours of surgery up at UCLA, and we thought it was going to be okay. And they came out and said she has, you know, a few minutes later and said she has a brain bleed. They went back in for another five hours of surgery. So over five weeks, she had three brain surgeries. And really expected that there would be severe um, impairment in her. And the miraculous thing is that, you know, other than the fact she can't smell out of the left side of her nose, she doesn't get tears in the left side of her, you know, some very minor things. Jamie is Jamie. And, but it rocked us because um, this precious daughter in love had just given birth to a, a grandson five weeks, seven weeks earlier, but the baby himself was five weeks premature and nearly died. And so here's my daughter-in-law who's just given birth to her first child who had nearly died at birth. And we were still kind of experiencing the trauma of, of that. And then here she is nearly dying with a brain tumor. And then a few weeks after that, a, a loved one was um, in a mental hospital. And, you know, it just kind of felt like, um, God, I can't do this. So, so there's somebody listening right now who feels the exact same way. And they're saying, this is all good and, and fine. And she keeps talking about God helping her. But I'm just trying to get by this hour, this moment, what do they do? What's the practical direction they, when they just, they, they, they've had experiences like this and they don't know where to turn. Yeah. Well, like I said, our first reaction is to start digging our own wells Mm -hmm. and to look for human comfort, to look for comfort in food, in shopping, in sex, in, in, in an addiction, in, um, in TV, in a hobby. I mean, we just pick up our shovels and start digging. And instead, even though it sounds really theoretical and impractical, I'm telling you it's the most practical thing you can do, and that is to run to God and to say, God, everything around me is shifting and changing, and I can't control it. I can't, I can't make Jamie, I couldn't make our little baby grandson, I couldn't make him live. Fortunately, he did, but I had no control over it. I couldn't control whether Jamie was going to die on that operating table or she would end up impaired. I had no control over it whatsoever. I couldn't control the brain bleed. I couldn't control the the, the swelling and the fluid in, in her head. None of that was in my control. I couldn't control whether this loved one was going to be okay, you know, if the mental health issues were going to be survivable. 
so much in our lives is not in our control. So we take the control that we have. I control the controllables. I leave the uncontrollables to God. That's one of my mottos. Control the controllables, leave the uncontrollables to God. And knowing that I'm leaving the uncontrollables of my life to somebody who loves me passionately. I'm his beloved. I, he dances over me. He sings over me. I can leave myself and those I love to a God like that. Wow. Great, great stuff. Roger, we're going to have to take a break, but this is much deeper than some of the conversations we have and much better. It's a good, good conversation today. Kay Warren with us. We'll be right back. Don't go away. More to come on Homeward. Kay Warren is with us in studio. She is the author of a book called Choose Joy. And uh, that's our theme today, when happiness isn't enough. And there's a big difference between happiness and joy. I heard one writer put it this way, that happiness depends on what's happening to you. But joy is something that you have on an ongoing basis just because of your relationship with the Lord. And Kay's testimony is so powerful. I hope that's an encouragement to you. If you're a mom or grandmother listening to us right now, if you're a dad even, I mean, I bunch of guys here in the studio, and we're all being uh, blessed by this conversation. Jim highly recommends the book by Kay Warren called Choose Joy, and if you'd like to learn more about it, visit our online resource center today at homeward.com. That's H-O-M-E-W-O-R-D.com. Also, if you'd like to learn more about how to choose joy in your own life, hit the articles and media tab when you go to homeward.com, and just type in those words, choose joy. You'll find dozens of articles, tip sheets, and video clips that will come up. You can access all of them without cost or further obligation. That's the articles and media tab when you go to homeward.com. Well, during the course of the next 24 hours, your priorities will influence every decision you make. Well, that makes me wonder, of all the priorities in your life, which one's the most important? Well, I'm Jim Burns of Homeward with a real-life answer to that question. Now, if you ask most people which is their most important priority, well, they'd probably say it's all about me. Well, that kind of attitude doesn't seem to leave much room for God in that person's life, and yet they still also believe they're spiritual. It's like the guy who said he was a Christ follower, but only to a certain extent. He said, I'd like to buy five bucks worth of God, not enough to explode my soul or disturb my sleep. I don't want anything to really change in my life. I just want ecstasy. The Christian life just isn't always super exciting. In fact, it may seem rather ordinary at times. Even so, putting God first in your life is not only a good idea, it's crucial both now and forever. Putting God first guarantees you a life that will last for all eternity. With Real Life Answers, I'm Jim Burns of Homeward. Welcome back. I'm Jim Burns. Kay Warren with us today. When happiness isn't enough, you know, Roger, ever so often we have an interview, we have a conversation that you just go, wait, this is amazing. And we need to just keep doing it over and over again. And that's how I feel today with Kay Warren. Kay Warren is a speaker, a Bible teacher, uh, a great person who cares deeply for women and children who are affected by HIV AIDS around the world so much more. She's along with her husband, been the co-founder of Saddleback Church, one of the wonderful churches uh, in America, really the influent, one of the great influential churches in the world and a church that I highly respect and admire. Um, she's written a wonderful uh, book called Choose Joy Because Happiness Isn't Enough, and it's pretty much the, her story and uh, and her journey, and she's showing that you can have joy, you can be authentic, it, life isn't perfect, and so we just keep having this conversation. Kay, right before the break, I was thinking about a person I know who is a wonderful mother 
and and I know that you're a wonderful mother. And this person is heartbroken because the you know the son just moved in with the uh, you know the the girlfriend and the daughter is doing drugs and and yet. Kathy and I know these people. They're amazing people. I mean, they, they are good parents. And I know sometimes good parents have kids who sometimes make poor decisions or have you know health issues or whatever. This woman is struggling like crazy to have any kind of joy. She's struggling to put her, 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 her clothes on and get out of bed. What do you say to her? Well, that's where we go back to, for me, is that definition of that joy is a settled assurance about God. If, if her focus is on the external things that are happening in her life, left to that, she will be in despair. Yeah, she right. will be frustrated. She will be anxious. She will have sleepless nights. She'll be biting her fingernails. She'll have stomach pains. I mean, all those things that happen to us when we're focusing on the externals. One of the things that I've learned, and I think Scripture teaches us, is that we, are, we can choose. We can either gaze at our problems— and kind of only glance at God, or we can reverse that. We can gaze at God and only glance at our problems. And when we get it mixed up is when we get anxious and when we get fearful and when we become so frightened that things will spiral out of control and we won't know what to do next. And so it is, it's a discipline. It's a, it's, a, it's a new habit to actually turn our gaze towards God. It's not ignoring the problem. She can't ignore the fact that things are going poorly in her life. She can't ignore that. So you glance at it. But we spend instead the majority of our time gazing at what we know to be true about God. We meditate on, on his unchangeable characteristics. Because like I keep saying, everything else in our lives changes. Nothing remains the same. Even the good things remain the same. They, they, you know, I've got a, a brand new couch, but in five years, it's going to have some holes in it, some stains and, you know, some Mars on it. So nothing stays the same. So we, but God doesn't change. So when we meditate on God's will, that his will is good. When we meditate on his ways, the Bible says that he's loving in all of his ways. When we meditate on his worth, that he's, he's magnificent. We, we look at the earth that he has made and we see what he has made is so fantastic. And, and we concentrate then on on those attributes or those things about God and meditate on them, it begins to change our perspective so that we look at what's happening to us in a different way. So gaze at God, glance at the problems. That's probably the best advice I would tell her. It's what I live by myself. Yeah. Now, you know, as we're talking about gazing at God, you know, there must be an element also of having some people around you when you're going through this tough time who can sometimes actually kind of point you toward joy because you don't have the strength to find it yourself. Totally. Um, community has been, um, I, I have a higher appreciation for community, for support, um, for people in my life than, than I think I ever have in the last few years of, as we've experienced a lot of really painful moments in our, in our personal and family life. Our small group that we've been in for 10 years is a group of four other couples. And um, I mean, we just do life together. We've gone through everything a family can go through. And uh, sometimes all I have to do is just say pray. I don't even have to say the details. And I know that they will pray for me. We're, we're there for each other at the hospital visits and at the, you know, um, when times are really tough. So I, I couldn't do it without, without my small group. And um, I have a group of people that pray, you know, for us. I think we completely underestimate prayer. We talk about prayer as though, you know, oh yeah, you should pray and you should pray about this. And it just becomes this word. But I'm telling you when you're hanging on by your fingernail to know that somebody is going before God on your behalf and talking to God and asking God and seeking him is, gives you strength that is, um, it's, 
not replicable just in a human way. I, I'm glad you brought that up. You know, when Kathy and I had our youngest child, she was born with a major heart issue, and we flew from Orange County, California here to Boston, Massachusetts. She was the 100th baby in the world to have this certain surgery with her heart taken out and all cut up and put back in. And sounds That's not very medical sounding. <laughs> but people would say, how are you doing? And honestly, both Kathy and I would say, good. And the only reason is because we knew people were praying for us, you know, uplifting us in that. And there was this sense in the midst of our pain and our struggle and our depth of, God, please heal this baby, to, my goodness, we're feeling people's prayers. You don't feel alone. You don't feel alone. And I think that's one of the hardest things when we go through hard times is if you feel like you're alone. If you feel like there's nobody, if you're the only one going through us, that is a miserable place to be. You know, and we're talking about joy here, but when a lot of people feel deep regret or deep shame or deep grief or whatever, a lot of times they try to do it on their own. And, And you have a quote in your book that actually is uh, Jim Rohn, and it says, the walls we build around us to keep sadness out also keep the joy out. And I want you to talk about that. Well, sadness has our, our heartbreak or loss or disappointment has a way of, as we've said, turning some people very bitter. They go, go very inward. They live a life of regret. They wish they spend so much of their time thinking, well, what if, or if only, or could it have been this way, or could it have been that way, or I wish it was back the way it was. And when we live our lives with that backward focus, yeah. joy can't bloom, joy can't yeah, blossom, joy good. can't be a part of daily life. So somehow we have to turn that instead of build that wall that, that keeps the sadness in. You know, I I remember early on in our ministry at Saddleback that there was a couple who couldn't have a child and it was such a heartbreak to them, such a pain. But they kept that love dammed up inside of them. They had all this love to give to children and a child. And instead of letting it out because they couldn't have kids, they kept it dammed up inside of them. And I've watched them actually through the years become kind of a, a sterile people. They're, they're kind of cold and there's not much vibrancy there. I've watched other couples who couldn't have kids, who had a love for children in their hearts, and that love has actually, rather than be dammed up, has been released in such a way in loving other people's children and loving the children of the world. And so when a love is or, or something is dammed up inside of us, it, it atrophies. And, and so that quote is talking about rather than that sadness and that wall that we build around us instead, put those walls down so that joy grows, so that love that's been stifled has an opportunity to be expressed in other ways. Joy is expressed when, when it's not dammed up, when it's re- allowed to re- be released and flow. Okay, I think a lot of times people get stifled because they worry, and there are worry warts, and there are people who, who tend to do that more often. In the book, you talk about worry as almost a form of rebellion. Yeah, I read that in a, a quote by Sarah Young in, in her book, that um, devotional book called Jesus Calling. And when I read it, it stunned me. I mean, I literally stopped in my tracks because she was saying that when we worry, um, that it is. It's a quiet form of rebellion. It's a way of saying to God, I can't trust you with this situation or my future. And so I have to take care of it myself. You aren't going to be here for me. You aren't going to be enough. So I've got to take care of it myself. And when you realize that that is a form of rebellion of saying to God, you are not trustworthy, you are not good enough, you cannot handle this, that's basically shaking our fist in God's face. And I had never realized that my worry was a way of saying to God, you know what, I don't trust you. You are not trustworthy. And because you can't be trusted, I'm going to take care of it myself. Well, anytime we find in the Bible where the Israelites would say, I'm going to take care of it myself. They always got into trouble. And so I'm going to get into trouble too. 
if I rebel in that seemingly subtle, quiet way of saying, God, you can't be trusted. That's incredible. Well, I wish we had more time. This is a great conversation. Choose joy because happiness isn't enough. Kay Warren, phenomenal conversation today. Phenomenal. I want to take notes. I, I, I'm actually driving right now after this, and I want to get a copy of this so I can, my wife and I can, can just listen and kind of review. It's, it's, it's great input. Thank you so very much for your input. Thank you for the great ministry you have. And I know Roger's going to be telling our listeners about how they can get more Kay Warren. <laughs> Thanks, Jim. It's always great to be with you. And that does conclude part two of Dr. Jim Burns' two-part conversation with Kay Warren here on the Homeward Broadcast. Our theme for both programs, When Happiness Isn't Enough. First and foremost, Kay's book is called uh, Choose Joy Because Happiness Isn't Enough. It's available from our friends at Regal. And if you go to homeward.com, you'll find information on how you can kind of click through a little bit and learn more about that book. Of course, it's available wherever Christian books are sold. Also, if you'd like the audio CD of this uh, two-part conversation with Jim and Kay, it's very easy to do. All you have to do is drop us a line, include a gift of any amount when you write to us, either at uh, homeward.com or send it to post office box 1600 San Juan Capistrano, California the zip code 92693 uh, typical retail for a CD is about $15 so if you use that as to how to gauge your gift and any amount above and beyond that maybe $50 or $100 would certainly go to help the Ministry of Homeward especially during this time of year and now for Dr. Jim Burns our engineer Ben Camp and the rest of the staff I'm Roger Marsh thanks so much for listening join us again next time right here for another edition of Homeward Homeward with Jim Burns is a production of the Homeward Center for Youth and Family at Azusa Pacific University.